0: As always, we're thankful for the opportunity to assemble on the Lord's day, to gather in the way that God in His Word has identified that He would wish us to do it and His commandments we desire to follow. Certainly good to see each and every person who's assembled this morning in this way. For this part of the service, as always, we would like to use a portion of the Word of God to encourage us on what the will of the Lord is, so that we can be better inclined to not only know it, but also to follow it. As you can see on the slide a moment ago, and also as announced in the bulletin, the title today is Identity Devices. Devices which we shall discover are interestingly related in the Word of God to identity. I have a question for you, and I have it written on the slide. Who are you? Now, I don't mean what your name is. That's a trivial question. I have a deeper, more profound question, because the Lord would be quick to ask it of us as well. What kind of individual are you? What is your nature? What is the basic character of your existence and being? What do you strive for? What's your destiny? To ask all of those kinds of things is going to relate rather intricately to the nature of our discussion as we shall see in just a moment. But who are you? You know, one of the slogans that so frequently is used, at least in the modern day, as it relates to some organization, and the choices that they make, and the particular activities in which they involve themselves, is they motivate all of that by saying, this is who we are. As if their mission is connected to this matter of discussion, and therefore you're able to involve yourself in it. Well, I might say, at least on the Christian level, all of that is going to come to bear. Who are we? As we give that discussion today, I'd like to begin it, based on the text that was just read a moment ago. Brother Dennis read from Matthew 23. Verse number 5 is the only verse that I had asked that be read. The larger context is something we will develop over the course of the lesson this morning. But I'd like to begin with these observations. Namely, the, the institution of how the Jews reacted to this. To springboard to that, would you revisit with me Deuteronomy 6. We're going to read just a small number of verses there, and then tie that together back with the observation from Matthew 23. I'd like to read from Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. I'll start reading in verse number three. Hear, O Israel, or hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that it may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way." and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates. Now I'll stop at the close of verse 9. Much of that probably had a ring of familiarity to it, but there was probably a part of it that was at least somewhat less familiar to us. And that's the part we're going to develop somewhat in the lesson this morning. I've asked you to observe on the slide. We had just read that it was the case God specifically commanded those children of Israel that they were to love God with all of their being supremely, with all their heart, with all of their nature and character. They were to have an absolute devotion to God as the supreme being, And you'll notice that involved His commandments, you should do them diligently. Everything I've commanded you. Seems straightforward, at least, upon hearing it. But then the God of heaven continued. And you'll notice He made reference to bind them upon you. Did you note the wording? Put it on the gates of your house. Now, you and I would be quick to say, did that mean that God expected them literally with pen to write on the exterior of their gates of their house and exterior to the doors of their house to write verses of Scripture and to write reminders of who they were? And in addition to that, He also made reference, these ought to be as frontlets between your eyes. So were they to write then with pen verses of Scripture on their head? Were they, in fact, to have that as a part of identifying who they were? Interesting observation, isn't it? I'd like you to take note, the Jews, at least many of them, took those things very seriously to the point where you'll notice that a statement, a picture like this, can now be appreciated. Here's a picture of a Jewish man, and you'll notice, strapped to his head, is a little bitty box, and you can already guess what's in it. Passages of Scripture that have been written, passages that were to identify, this is who I am. I am connected in the most basic of all ways to the God of heaven. And this outward sign was to be a reminder, and many of the Jews, of course, took it that way. You may notice that other things could be observed based on that passage we just read. Did you notice? Jesus made the statement back in Matthew 23. It was at that point that Jesus thus observed it like this They make broad their phylacteries. You and I might be tempted to read right past that. What is a phylactery? What was it used for? What was its purpose? The fact that Jesus made reference to it clearly indicates it was a real thing. It wasn't just imaginary. It's clear that in regard to these phylacteries, they make them broad. And he went on to say, they enlarge the borders of their garments. Let me go back to that previous slide and ask you to observe this. You'll notice about the middle of that slide, a statement is made. Jewish males, based on that verse we just read a moment ago, were such that many of them thus would construct a little box. And in it they would put scriptures which I've asked you to notice. And to this day Orthodox Jews in the time of prayer will wear strapped to their head a little box containing these scriptures. Exodus 13 verses 3 through 16, Deuteronomy 6 verses 5 through 9, the text we just read, and Deuteronomy 11 verses 13 to 21. Those particular scriptures and the wearing of those things on the head, you'll notice was to be, for many of those individuals, a reminder of who I am. Now look further, that's not all we ought to say. I've asked you to note yet another one. We also read from the book of Deuteronomy a moment ago about, on the gates and the doors of thy house... Well, look at this picture. It is not uncommon for, again, those that are Jews to have on the outside of their house. Note the bricks on the right. This is basically right where you and I would imagine a mailbox of some variety. And there is a little container. You can guess what it contains. Certain scriptures, certain things of the Word of God And again, they took this rather literally. We are at the gates of our house, at the doorpost of our house. We are to thus have the Word of God bound to it. So you'll notice that the wearing of this phylactery, the nature of these things on the outside of the house, two others I might also mention, taking me to that other picture. Let me go back one and ask you to observe it. That one may be harder for you to see. But you'll notice that Jesus also said this. In Matthew 23, they enlarge the borders of their garments. Now maybe that rendering isn't the keenest one in terms of imagination. But if you'll look at this particular pair of Jewish men, The one on the left is not the one I would invite you to note most carefully. The other two are wearing a prayer vest, a prayer garment. And at the very bottom, if you're able to see it, are tassels that flow from it. That's what the Lord was referencing. Taken from the Old Testament, remember God had told the Jews, at the four corners of your garments, you are to wear these blue colored tassels. Now, I would ask you to notice those happen to be white. Most of the ones I seemingly were able to find reference to in this modern day, in fact, were blue. But you'll notice what Jesus says they were doing. The longer the tassel, by and large, people would appreciate, He's more holy. He's more godly. A short tassel indicated maybe not so much godliness, at least in comparison to the longer ones. And so Jesus gave a warning here. You'll notice the Jews thus, at the very least, it could be said that they had these outward things that were to be a reminder of their identity. Boxes worn on a head. Things outside your entrance of your house. Garments that had long tassels on it. One other thing, and I saved it to this point to reference it first. The prayers that they pray twice a day. A central part of that is the Shema. And from what I'm told, all the Jews from an early age, because they hear it so often, they realize this has to be a central part of prayer. And of course, it is the reading of Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I say all of these things to say, as we go back to that previous slide, That there are various names given to these things, those phylacteries. You'll note near the bottom that particular thing that's on the outside of the door called a mezuzah. Again, taken very seriously in most cases. Now, the entirety of this sermon is not just about what the Jews did. Our interest will be what about us? Who are we? Is it the will of the God of heaven that there be things, reminders if you please, that ought not be forgotten, things that remind us very clearly, who am I, who do I serve, and what is most important in life? For the Jews, you can imagine, every time you walk in your house, you see this. When the time of prayer comes, a man puts this box on his head. The other prayers that are heard every day, twice a day, It would, in fact, be ingrained in you. This is who I am. Is it any wonder that in many ways the integrity of some of the most basic Jewish issues have now lasted almost 4,000 years? Almost unchanged, at least in some of its matters. Well, it's because they're ingrained that they have an identity. And that identity is not to be compromised, and it's not ever to be forgotten. I might suggest, as we close that slide we would be quick to say the Jews had their failures, no doubt about that. They often mistook various teachings of Scripture and misapplied it. But it seems to me at least we'd have to appreciate they had a desire to live out in these regards what they thought God was teaching. As we go past these pictures now, having looked at them already... You'll notice in Matthew 23, Jesus rather clearly taught. They had made some mistakes with regard to these. They've used bigger phylacteries just because they thought it would bring them higher appreciation in the eyes of men. So if my phylacteries are bigger than he is, well, it will appear I'm more righteous. I've got more scriptures maybe in mind than he does. And if my tassels are a little longer, that ought to indicate I've got a running start toward heaven. Well, Jesus said, look, don't follow them just in those ways. You listen to what they say and do what they encourage, but don't you live the way they live. They had some things wrong, admittedly. But I'd like to ask us for the remainder of the lesson to ponder, what about at least the idea of identity devices? In the Christian life, let's move From those to draw some applications, some of which will have direct interest to you and me today. The first thing would be fair to say, and let's be clear about it. As the Lord gave them commandments concerning phylacteries, and as He gave them statements about various and sundry things, that was under the old law, and that law was nailed to the cross. We don't live beneath it today. But isn't it true that we could ask this? That old law was given for our learning, Romans fifteen four. There were matters in it that were intended as examples. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 11. So are there principles from it that might be handy, that might be powerful, that might be beneficial to you and I in our desire to live a faithful Christian life? Were there things in it meaningful? The second point is this one. And it seems to me this is a big one. Those Jews were such that, as you and I just read, you are to love the Lord your God, not with part of your heart, not with a section of it, not with only part of it, but rather with all of it. And might we never forget, the Lord quoted that, and the gospel accounts presented to us today. In Mark 12, verse number 30, when Jesus Himself was asked, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? And without hesitation, without any ambiguity, without any delay, He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the greatest commandment. Now, that observation reminds us, at least the Jews realize the completeness, the totality, the entirety, the fullness that went with serving God. The devil does not make this easy. He brings distractions, multitudinous in number, things that capture our attention, that seek to pull us away from the singular devotion to the God of heaven. And we all know how easily it is for him to accomplish it. We stumble, we fall, and yet you'll note we would at least have to realize the Jews wore garments with tassels. They put boxes on their heads. They put reminders just outside their door, constantly with a desire to remind them, this is who I am. May I never in a moment of weakness fail to remember it may I never in a moment of faltering character fail to recognize the means by which God has brought me to this point in life. An identity device. For the reasons we've just learned today, we would be quick to say, God doesn't command us to put things outside our door. He doesn't command us to wear things on our head like He did in some ways, in some fashion them." but it doesn't set aside the fact that God did include this. My word should be ingrained in you so thoroughly, so sufficiently, and so completely that it is as if your house is governed and guided by it because in essence it's written on your house. Your children know this is who they are because they've seen it in you. You wear what you wear, and they come to wear what they wear, not simply because it has been something inadvertently said, because they have grown up in a way that they realize this is the kind of person I am. It's at this point we might at least ask this. Probably your parents may have said something like this at some point. When you reach the teenage years, perhaps as a young man or a young woman, and Friday night or Saturday night arrives and you ask, I'd like to go out with my friends, maybe take in the Friday night football game or maybe some other activities, and dad or mom or both said, don't forget who you are. Remember who you are. Now you know what they meant by that. They weren't talking about what your first and last name is. They were talking about, don't get into things you ought not be doing. And don't find yourself in places you ought not be. Remember who you are. You see, even dad and mom and maybe grandparents encouraged us to have an identity. And to be such that it's an integral part of the fabric of the entirety of our life. Who am I? As you and I close that slide, may I suggest, That Jesus, in Matthew 10, verse number 37, also talked about matters connected to this. As you and I describe the totality in life, do you remember on one occasion Jesus saying, if any man loves father or mother, brother or sister, more than me, he's not worthy of me. Our devotion to the Master has to be number one. That means His Word is supreme. If he says not to do something, that's enough. I will not do it. It doesn't matter how much peer pressure is exerted otherwise and how much the devil makes it look attractive. I will exert an effort and so shall we all of us to strive to remain distant from this activity because the Lord said it was not to be done. We would have to again admit that though the Jews had their mistakes and though they made some misapplications of passages, And I'm convinced likely even of this one. At least the principle was there that they wanted these identity devices to be present with them. Look at lesson number three. What does it mean then to discuss an identity device? May I invite us to make a connection as I have labeled it here. It is a reminder and a very broad one and a very powerful one of ownership. Who owns you and me? Now, we understand what it means to be an owner. To say that you and I own, for instance, a car is to say we have the opportunity to do with it as we please. If you want to run it into a tree, you can do it. If you want to let it sit out and rust for weeks and months and years on end, you can do it. Or if you want to wash it, care for it, tune it up, clean inside and out, you can do it. As owner, you see, you have the opportunity and the right to do with it and declare concerning it as you wish. Make no mistake about it, as a Christian, we have one who owns us. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20 puts it in language like this, Ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your mind and in your body, which are God's. You and I don't own ourselves. The government doesn't own us. No particular scholarly consideration of men own us either. Christ does. And therefore, when it comes to ownership, that should be the principal characteristic of our identity. My identity as a Christian is connected to the Lord. I should strive daily, constantly, to serve Him, Doesn't that mean, as you can see on that slide, what a theme we find in the New Testament relative to that idea. A theme developed in verses such as these. I would call to your attention 1 John 2.24. As the inspired writer pointed out, there are three times he highlights in one verse that we are to continue, we are to dwell, and we are to abide in Christ. We know what it means to abide in a house. We stay in its confines. We remain in the location connected to it. We are admonished then as Christians that we abide in Christ. That, of course, will have a number of implications which will develop shortly. But notice just a sampling of these other verses that remind us in other wording of that same principle. In Colossians 3.16... Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. How much of God's Word should dwell in you and me? The adverb richly indicates a lot of it. We should thus have at ready command the nature of what's taught in the Word of God. It may not mean we can quote the whole Bible. That's not what it says. But what it means is we ought to have a working knowledge of it to the point where evil stands out like a sore thumb something immediately seems not to be right to us. And thus, we proceed to move forward very cautiously. In fact, we may not move forward at all, realizing something just doesn't seem right about this. In addition to that, you may notice in verses like Galatians 2.20, Paul could say, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Paul, who owns you? Christ is living in me. I'm going to do what He says, and I'm going to proceed the way He commands. Maybe two two last verses. The example of Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, where the opening verse of that chapter reminded them of that day, and you and me as well today, when Paul could easily and rather dramatically say, follow me as I follow Christ. Do people see Christ when they see you and me? That should be a part of His ownership of us. As we develop that point, the last statement then should be this. The world ought to see something different about us as it makes contrast between us and the way it behaves. If you and I talk like the world, live like the world, dress like the world, go the same places the world goes, and do everything the world does, how will they ever know there's any difference? Jesus said, didn't He? The world has hated me, John 15, 19, and it will hate you too. The world wants the folks to march right along with them. It wants everybody to do what they do and to acclaim what they acclaim. And to do what they encourage. Don't want anybody to stick out. But yet Jesus says, if you follow me, you can't do that. You must follow me supremely. These identity devices then that we've at least reminded of ourselves today, the Jews took all this very seriously in the point of wearing tassels and boxes on their head and things on their house. Now as we said, Jesus doesn't command this in the New Testament. But is there a principle in it? Surely there is. Look at perhaps this slide. The first thing I'd say, whatever you and I do in a connection like this, we must never ever do it just to garner the attention of people. So if we say do certain things that are a reminder of who we are, May the reason we do it not just simply be for others to say, oh, look at how religious he or she is. Oh, look at how impressively pious or godly that person is. That's not the reason we do it. In fact, Jesus said, if that's the reason we do it, we'll have our praise of men, but that's all we'll ever have. In Matthew 6, Jesus described three activities, one of which was prayer one of which was giving, and one of which was fasting. And he says, if we do any of these things just to be seen of men, we have our reward. It's not that he said that the doing of them is bad, but the reason has got to be careful. We do it because we want to be right. And we want to serve God, and we want to remind ourselves of what's most valuable— and we want to motivate ourselves in the way that's righteous but we don't do it for just to be seen of men as often as jesus made statements like that one in fact could we not say that in matthew 5:16 in fact we will be doing things on occasion and others will take note now we didn't do it to make them take note but in the sense we did it faithfully they did take note And Jesus said it like this in verse 16 of that chapter. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so that person who perhaps is a neighbor to us, that person will observe every Sunday, twice and on Wednesday. I see that they dress and they attend worship services and Bible studies. And no matter what, high winds, weather or otherwise, they're faithful. Now, the family isn't doing this just to be seen of them, but their faithfulness is evident. Or maybe in light of activities concerning other things, other people may put nativity scenes in their yards for Christmas. You and I don't because it's our conviction in light of the things of the Word of God that so many things about that, as the way men portray it, simply isn't right. And we won't do not wish to be a part of what encourages a wrong understanding of the biblical teaching. One more time, we don't do it to be seen of men. But in the light of it being done, others take note. I might suggest so many other examples, some of them listed in number five. What might be some identity reminders for you and me? Things that might well be done, never again just to be seen of men, but done that is a reminder of who I am and who you are. Well, I might suggest a few broad examples, and then we can list some more specific ones as well. In the world in which we live, we know very well what the common approach or the common lot, the encouragement of the human family is, Dress however you want, and the world's happy with it, to the point of nakedness. Now, you and I know God condemns this overtly. We must always dress in a way that's becoming of dignity, becoming of modesty, becoming of propriety, and anything else God will look with frowned character upon. That means there's a lot of clothing you and I will never buy although it's portrayed openly at Walmart, Cato, and anywhere else, we'll not buy it. Or if we do, we'll have to modify it before we wear it. Now, the world might laugh at us for that, but we're always going to dress in a way that's becoming of what the Bible teaches. What about the way we talk? We all know the world doesn't have many particular filters of the things that are said. Quite often, language is profane. Quite often, language is rather hurtful and demeaning. You and I know as Christians, we're not going to be given to it. We will guard the words that we say, Put a watch on my lips, the psalmist declared in Psalm 141. Maybe in that light, we can recall the words of Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That says it pretty strongly, doesn't it? Now, you and I know, again, these are just some broad considerations, but isn't it amazing how powerful they are? As broad as the things I say, as the things I wear. Many other examples might be listed, but some people would perhaps wish to even be more specific. You might wish to have a little sticker in your car. Maybe nobody knows it's there but you, unless someone happens to be riding with you, but a little post-it note that has some Bible verse right on your dashboard, constantly reminding you of some impressively powerful principle of the Word of God that you can utilize every time you get in that car, reminding you of who you are, reminding you of who you belong to. Maybe there's a sticker on your refrigerator. We all go to the refrigerator pretty often, don't we? Maybe there's something there that is a constant reminder of something from the Word of God. A reminder of how to think. A reminder of the kind of attitude to have. A reminder of the kind of person that you'd like to be as a husband or wife, a father or mother. I'd say that we perhaps could do well to have some identity reminders in our life. It could be something in your car. It could be something, again, on, on your refrigerator, maybe in your, at your place of work. We all know that at the workplace, we might be distanced from a church building considerably. A lot of things might be going on as people are talking and as various things are taking place. Maybe a little sticker right at the top of my computer screen could be a reminder of who I am that I'm not going to be given to the kind of gossip and the kind of other things that might well be going on so frequently. The point is, each person might be different in this regard, but the point is still easy to see. If an identity reminder can be a helpful thing on my journey to heaven, it sure would be a good idea. Something to remind me who I am, whose I belong to, and the kind of person I'm dedicated to be. I hope our study today as we close that slide is a reminder that the Christian way of life is a very dramatic one. The Jews took so seriously the issues connected to identity that they'd wear a box on their head. And they'd have tassels on their garments, especially to be noted in that regard. And they'd even have boxes outside their house. And although you and I might not literally do that kind of thing, the principle is still interesting. And the principle is still rather useful. Are there some identity devices in your life? Should there be? Maybe it would be time for you and I to start moving in the direction of greater devotion to the Lord. And if identity devices could be helpful, be it something in the car, be it something on the computer screen. After all, wouldn't it be more challenging to engage in looking at something you ought not be looking at if there was a Bible verse there encouraging you to be pure? encouraging you to be holy, encourage you to be godly. If that kind of thing is meaningful, and surely it could be, then might we take seriously identity devices. It could be in this assembly today that there could be somebody, maybe one or more, that has reached a point in life that though at one time you were faithfully dedicated to God, and you were secure in your journey toward heaven... But things have happened and decisions have been made and life has begun to be lived in a way that's not pleasing to God anymore. If that is the circumstance of your life, you know the Lord still loves you and He wants you to come back to Him. And He wants you to again enjoy a place of blessedness and a place of harmony and peace right at the faithfulness of His side. But He leaves you to make the decision. He won't force you. He won't make you. But oh, how He invites. Oh, how He implores because He wants you to be in heaven with Him. But He lets you decide. Today, if we could be of help to you as a wayward child of God, why don't you come back to your first love? Confess those errors, repent of them, and He will wonderfully bring you back to a place of blessed salvation. But if you've never become a Christian if you have never had your sins washed away in baptism, and that's the only way to rid them, according to the Word of God, why don't you do that today? If you know Jesus died for you, and if you know you're a sinner, could we talk to you briefly? It's likely you know enough to be immersed into Christ. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. And if we can help you in that regard, why don't you rush down this aisle while together we stand and while we sing?